Well, good morning. It's uh, it's great to be here. Uh, it really is. I think the the past eleven months of in ministry terms have been the hardest eleven months that I've ever had in ministry. Not the hardest in terms of personal circumstances, but uh, the hardest in ministry. And part of that is leaving you, and uh, you know you don't know how a blessing you are and, and what a great church you are. So part of that is that, and part of that is the slowness of the the church plant. So those two things, uh, you know, on their own are, are reasonably significant. But on the back of that, Becky's father's deteriorating health and uh, and building an annex for him, which has been a nightmare. But it's finished. So praise God for that. And uh, he's he's in there living, but needs care as four times a day. So he's he's very. Uh, Frail, really, not very mobile and not in the best of health by any means. But God is good (laughs) all the time. And, uh, you know, we have experienced the kindness of Woodlands Church in Bristol, particularly Dave Mitchell, who's the senior pastor there. And I thank God for that. Um, I think without that connection, without that blessing, it would have been extremely difficult. Uh, so I really do thank God for the wider body of Christ, the kingdom of God. And uh, a massive thank you to those who came up on the August Bank Holiday Monday. Really, really appreciated that. And, and for those who've been up, you know, separately to that, great encouragement to us. And uh, as a result of that uh, you know, I don't know the full extent of the fruit of that, but direct, tangible fruit. We had a family of four come for Sunday lunch last Sunday as a direct result of that event. They come again this Sunday, so they should be there today. A lady uh, came for lunch and really enjoyed connecting, and so I think you know that's a really good connection. There's another lady who's going to come on Freedom in Christ. And there are others as well at a, a lesser degree, but, you know, that was a, a very significant day in the life of Freedom Church. And we could not have done what was done without you. So really, really appreciate that. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. And keep going. Keep doing it. Because uh, we need it. Um, but coming to today, and the, the tithe is a very... Uh, simple, basic kind of message in a way, it's on Holy Communion. And the term Holy Communion has really blessed me recently. And as a result of that, I've you know dug around into it a little bit. And the next slide says, it's a table for the whole body, not just for the limbs. Uh, you know, this is not a table for two. This meal here is not a table for two. I'm going to take the covers off because really this is what today is all about. And so I want us to really focus on this table. You know, when you have a table for two, the dynamic is completely different to a group party meal, isn't it? Well, it should be. You know... For example, a table for two has a degree of exclusivity. For example, if you are on a dinner date, 
You don't want your partner looking around at all the other tables and trying to engage in conversation with all the other people in the restaurant, do you? No. <laughs> of course you don't. And if you're going out with a mate, again, you don't want the same thing to happen. A table for two, there's an exclusivity about it. It's a healthy thing to have a strong focus on each other at a table for two. But a table for 20, a birthday party, is a very different dynamic. There is a need for inclusivity. A looking out for the one on the edge. The one who is being left out. The one who needs to be drawn in to the conversation. This is a table for a group, not for two. And as we come to the Lord's table, it's for the whole body, not just a few limbs. It's for the many, not the few. Don't confuse me with Jeremy Corbyn, by the way. It's for the many, not the few. (laughs) Sorry, Becky almost didn't let me use that line. I was going to have it in the title, and she said, hmm... So there's a high level of inclusivity at the highest order. You know, that's that's what I love about the term Holy Communion. In, In the first century, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. And he is passionate to communicate that this is a communion for the many and not for the few. It's for the body, and not just for a few limbs. And he points out that this meal has become a cliquey, unholy communion. So I'm going to read from that passage from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 to 34. And it's the message version. I'm reading it from the message version, because sometimes the message version... You know, adds a bit more in and and makes it a bit more spicy. And, uh, you know, obviously if you want the literal translation, this isn't it. So I'm fully aware of that. But sometimes it just gives a window and and, and a greater, wow. And I think in this particular chapter, it helps with that to, to paint the picture. And this is the early church. Now, sometimes people say, I just wish we were like the early church. Well, this is the early church. The early church wasn't perfect. Paul had to address stuff in the early church. So, starting 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Regarding this next item, I'm not at all pleased. I'm getting the picture that when you meet together, it brings out the worst side instead of your best. First, I get this report on your divisive, competing, with and criticizing each other, I'm reluctant to believe it, but there it is. The best that can be said for it is that the testing process will bring truth into the open and confirm it. And then I find that you bring your divisions to worship. You come together, and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring a lot of food from the outside and make pigs of yourselves. Some are left out and go home hungry. Others have to be carried out too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. 
Don't you have homes to eat in? Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church? Why would you actually shame God's poor? I would never believed you would have stooped to this. And I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper. And why it is centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself. And I passed them on to you. The Master Jesus on the night of his betrayal took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This is the cup of my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the Master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the Master returns. You must never let familiarity breed Contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spat on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives, test your heart, come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought, or at worst don't care, about the broken body of the Master. When you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you, even now, are listless and sick, and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better be confronted by the Master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. So my friends, when you come together to the Lord's table, be reverent and courteous to one another. If you are so hungry that you can't wait to be served, go home and get a sandwich. But by no means risk turning this meal into an eating and drinking binge or a familiar squabble. It is a spiritual meal. A love feast. You know, I I just love the way that Paul sums that up. It is a spiritual meal. A love feast. And I, I love the term Holy Communion. It wasn't Paul who used this term Holy Communion. I don't even know when it started. But the term Holy Communion to refer to the Lord's Supper. I I just think it's such a lovely term that encapsulates what Paul has just written. So, what is communion? Well, the dictionary definition. The sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. 
So communion indicates a deep relationship. A deep relationship. And what does holy mean? Well, it means it's other, it's on a different level, it's special, it's set apart from the ordinary, it's of supreme value. So how is communion different from normal communion? How is it at a higher level than normal communion? Well, I just want to take the cross because there was a day in history, 2,000 years ago, when a Roman cross was either led flat or the, the bar was lifted. But one way or another, what happened that day was that the vertical lifted the horizontal. The vertical lifted the horizontal. The cross is a visual aid to what happens in the spiritual, what happens in our relationship to each other. There is something that happened on the cross that the vertical connection with God lifts our horizontal relationships with each other to a communion level that was not possible. To a level of fellowship, communion, interaction that is higher because of the vertical connection. And Paul is saying, if horizontally we're down here, then we've got the vertical all wrong. We cannot claim to have the vertical if horizontally we're at the human level, down on the floor, messing up and being selfish and self-centred. They were coming to communion with this selfish, careless behaviour. This is the Lord's table. It's the Lord's table. It's God's table. They were cutting across the very heart of the meaning of the cross by the way they related to one another. So they brought down from the highest level to a very low level, from holy communion to unholy communion. Now imagine going to a wedding. And you know that time where the bride and groom were having the pictures taken. And you're hanging around, aren't you? And, and sometimes you're allowed into the, the hotel and, and you're allowed into the first bit so you can have some drinks. So just imagine the scene. You, you, you're a guest and you're waiting for the others and you've gone into the, the area where there's this huge table with drinks and at the end of it there's this lovely wedding cake. And as you, you, know, you get one drink and you are just chatting, all of a sudden a group of guests come in and they just start eating the cake. And they devour the lot of it. And then they just start knocking back the drinks and they don't stop until all the drinks on the table are completely gone. You know, that wedding table was for the many guests, not a few. That feast was for everybody who'd been invited, who'd come, not for just a handful. It was for all of them. And in doing that, they dishonour the bride, they dishonour the groom. And they mess up the wedding table, the wedding feast. They miss the whole point. They make a mockery of the event. You know, this, this table is not my table. 
It's not your table. It's the Lord Jesus Christ's table. That makes a massive difference. The way we approach it, the way we celebrate it, we should not come in a careless, complacent manner. You know, when it comes to driving, there is a term dangerous driving. And uh, dangerous driving can result in, in death. And I believe that the Corinthians were involved in dangerous dining. And the dangerous dining was dangerous stuff. And I don't think I've seen that anywhere in, in, in my life as a pastor. I've never seen dangerous dining at the Lord's table. But there's also another offence, isn't there? That of driving without due care and attention. On the way here, uh, there were two accidents. And I was driving from Bristol and I hadn't gone very far because before I was stuck in traffic. You know what it's like? And you have no idea how long it's going to take. You're just creeping along, creeping along and creeping along. Along with hundreds of other people who are creeping along. And then eventually we get to the point where on the hard shoulder, there it is. Two cars, very minor damage. Just a touch of the front end. And the police and all the rigmarole. And then I'm travelling down the M5 and get north of Clumpton. And on the other side of the road, there is a car that's gone into the, the central reservation and smashed into the crash barrier. Again, nothing major. There's just a bit of damage to the front wing. But boy, oh boy, mile after mile after mile. I, I was driving, watching this car. It's just like a big car park happening in front of my eyes. Driving without due care and attention, in other words, carelessly, can create a lot of issues for a lot of people. (laughs) Maybe not major issues, but inconvenience. It affects others when we drive like that. So we see their careless actions. And just on the the PowerPoint that's going to come up, just... To reinforce that, that carelessness. You know, carelessness spoils good things. Carelessness, you know, probably driving is an easy way of describing it because you just see, it's, it's just made a mess, hasn't it? It's just spoiled what was two pretty nice cars and, and bashed them up. It, it is something that, that brings things down to a lower level. But it's not just about careless actions, it's careless words as well. And careless words result in, in the next slide where, you know, our, our emotions are moved and, and we are hurt and there's pain on the inside. As I said earlier, I've never seen dangerous dining at the Lord's Supper. But I must say I have seen dining without due care and attention. Bit careless. And I've got to put my hand up and say that, you know, I've been a Christian a long time, for decades, and there have been times when I have not had due care and attention as I've come to communion. So I hold my hand up, and I'm sure that many others, if they're honest, would say that there's sometimes we come without the due care and attention that we ought. And I'm just going to read Paul's words. He says, What you must solemnly realize 
is that every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the Master. You'll be drawn back to this meal again and again until the Master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Because we are reenacting something extremely important and precious and sacrificial when we take the bread and when we take the cup. This is my body, Jesus said, broken for you. Keep doing this meal, he said, in remembrance that my body was broken for you. Then he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It is through this shed blood, and, and that the cup is a big deal. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus looked into the cup, he saw your sin, he saw my sin, he saw the sin of the whole world. And he drank that cup. He bore all our sin. It's a big deal. He did that for us. And when we take the cup, we are remembering, it's almost reenacting the fact that his blood was shed for us. The writer said, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Another hymn writer said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I claim. You know, this, this meal is all about what he has done for us. It's an awesome vertical connection that he died in our place. That he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what's so special about this meal. And, and in my head, I know 100% without any shadow of a doubt that my connection with God is all about what Jesus did here and it's nothing to do with me whatsoever. I know that my place in the family of God is 100% because of what Jesus did here and not because of me. But you, you know, there are, there are some times when I kind of think I can bring something to this table. I really want you to get a hold of what I'm saying. I think there may be times when you, knowingly or unknowingly, come to this table thinking that you can actually bring something to it. We can't. David wrote... That you prepare a table before me. You prepare the table. Communion is the highest level table that God has prepared for us. This meal of remembrance is his body, his blood. Not physically, but representative. We cannot bring anything to the table. 
Doesn't matter how much money you've got. Doesn't matter how gifted you are. Doesn't matter how many degrees you've got or PhDs, whatever. It doesn't matter what your standing in society is. You can't bring any of it to this table. None of it. Absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter if you come to this table a Christian of 80 years or of 80 seconds. You come equally. It doesn't matter if you come to this table after serving God for decades or whether you've done nothing for God at all. We come equally. This is the only level ground in the universe. This is level ground. The equality at the cross is true equality. (laughs) There is no other equality in the world apart from this equality. You see, we all come to this table with nothing except for our sin. Nothing else. We come with nothing. And we need the same thing. (laughs) We all need forgiveness. We all need God to come and touch our lives and bring healing. Every single one of us is broken. Every single one of us has been touched by the brokenness of this world. We live in a broken world and we are broken. But Jesus said, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted and to heal the wounds. And our deepest brokenness is our sin. And our need for a saviour. So as we come to this table, we don't come with our strengths. We come with our weaknesses. We come just as we are. No masks. No pretense. No self-justification. No self-righteousness, no self-orientation. This is the Lord's table. And we receive from him. My favourite verse in the Bible is 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is where the pure heart comes from. This is where we get washed Clean. The vertical lifts the horizontal. Because the unity in Christ that we share, one head, one loaf, one body, one saviour, one sacrifice, one head, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So how do we come to communion? We come with a humble heart. We come in all. And we're going straight into communion in a few seconds. And I want us to do communion in a very different way this morning to do a visual aid of what is going on in our hearts. Now, this doesn't need to happen every week or every month or whatever. I'm I'm not saying this is the way to do communion, so don't think that's what's been said here. I'm not saying this is the way to do communion, but what I am saying is, today, let's visually... Be humble. And what should happen in our hearts every time we take communion where our heart is humble 
and our heart is bowed before God. In other words, a kneeling heart. I want us to be kneeling across the front of the stage and to receive communion in that way. And as people go, then just come and fill the space. So you can keep worshipping until there's a space and then just come and fill it. And then you'll be served the bread and the cup at the same time and in your own space, just kneeling before God, kneeling to take his meal of remembrance. And it might be that you need to say some sorries. It might be you need to say sorry to somebody even here. And if that is the case, then why don't you do that as people are coming, as people are mingling, just just say, I'm sorry for whatever, name it. It might be that there's somebody outside of this building that you need to say sorry for. Well, say it in your heart. You can't physically go and do that, but just say sorry in your heart. It might be that you need to say sorry to God. So you need the humility to do that as you come to the cross. As you come to this meal, the Lord's table, holy communion. You know, we are never, in a sense, closer to each other than when we come to this table. Because the equality is perfect.